Do you go through life mainly feeling, you owe me. Somebody owes me. Do you get angry when you don't get? Do you get depressed when you don't get? Do you get feeling poor me when you don't get? He gives us a different perspective to look at it, doesn't he? Yeah, I know Jesus saved me. But I'm mad because I don't get. Are you willing to come to the place? Are you willing to let God bring you to the place that you're willing to say, nobody owes me anything. I owe everybody else. It will change how you look at your family. It will change going to work. It will change your life. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke, the ninth chapter. We're going to take off there at the 46th verse. We ended at the 49th verse last week, or not the 45th verse. Uh, it's page 59, I believe, in your New Testaments if you have it. And again, I invite you. If you don't have a Bible, there's New Testaments on the table in the hallway when you're leaving. Grab one, bring it next week. Uh, let me say welcome connection. Appreciate seeing you. Appreciate you being here. I'm, I'm Mike. I'm the lead pastor. So enjoy Matt in the band, Connections Band. By the way, if you can play a guitar, we'd like to have a third guitar up here. We'd like to add to this. And so we want to invite you, if you think you might be able to play that instrument, to start working on it and then approach Matt and talk to him. Uh, somebody says, what can I do? Listen, there's always something for you to do. We, we can... Josh has taken over the technology. He's got people helping him. We're looking for somebody who will regularly commit yourself to come and learn that and be able to, to run that. You need to talk to Josh about that. We need somebody. Josh used, to, Josh used to come early and take the signs and put them out that talks about how to get the connection. Now, you know how to get here. Other people don't. We've had people who walked in and said, I was just going down the road, and I thought, I need to go to church today, and I saw your sign. It said, connection, this way, and I just followed the signs. Well, we need somebody to uh, put out six to eight signs every Sunday. Somewhere about, I don't know, around just before 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. If you're interested in that, talk to Dean Taylor. Uh, they're all looking for someone, and if you're willing to do that, we'd like you to do that. All you've got to do is have a truck for that. Truck and be able to put up some signs. Uh, we, we can always use another popcorn popper. See? I mean, not a machine, a person. Okay? Listen, folks, somebody says to me, you're always asking for people to help. Is it all about connection? No, it's definitely not all about connection. Look at the people to help. It's about creating that environment for people to come and to come into a relationship with Jesus like they've never had it before. And you see, that's part of it. That is. Matter of fact, some people will feel those greeters, they'll feel the, the, the coffee, they'll feel the popcorn, they'll just feel the love of people, they'll feel the band, that they'll come back when they don't even agree with what I say. Okay? And so we'll always be asking for people to help us. And you know what? <laughs> some of us say, well, I can't wait till we get to have about 250 people coming. 
when we have 250 people coming, we'll probably have to have two popcorn poppers going. We'll have to have four or five coffee pots going. It's just going to take more people. And so sometimes what we might ask God for, realize He wants to know, are we ready for? Are we willing to do? Are we willing to give ourselves? And so I invite you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're experiencing connection. And I hope here you will experience things that will challenge you. Okay? Because you know what? We get, just like John Piper said, we get feeling sort of entitled. It's not fair. Somebody owes me. And God wants us to not be that way. Because I'm going to tell you, life gets sour, and you're always seeing the bad, and you tend to miss the good. And God wants us to understand there needs to be an attitude of humbleness. Okay? And we may see some of that in the message today. Okay? If you were here for the first one, listen, the first video, that was the trailer for Oz, the, the powerful and the mighty, I think it was, uh, I'm showing that because I negotiate with them. We get 1% of the profit. So if they make a million dollars, we get $1,000. <laughs> Go see it. No, no, I, I didn't. What I wanted to call attention to in that video, the guy who becomes the wizard, who's a magician in Kansas, he said at the very beginning, the volume was a little bit low, and it, it was the line why I got the video. He says, I don't want to be an ordinary man. I want to be a great man. And in our scripture today, we're going to see that come about. So if you've got your Bibles, look there with me in the ninth chapter, the ninth chapter, at the 46th verse, okay? And before we look at that, let me ask you, who's greater? President Obama? Who's greater? President Obama or President Reagan? That'll get the Democrats and Republicans fighting, won't it? Who's greater? Kentucky Wildcats? Or the University of Illinois fighting Illini. See? Who's greater? Madonna or Gaga? Matter of fact, that was an issue not too long ago, maybe. How about this one? Who's greater? Your grandchild or my grandchild? Look, some of you saying, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you see, we get caught up with greatness. What makes a person great? Matter of fact, what decides if someone's great? I like being involved in your families. I like hearing about your families. I like to approach people in your family and you whenever I hear you achieve something, you accomplish something. I've already been doing that this morning with some people. But what is it about greatness that attracts us? And what makes someone great? Well, look there at that 46th verse. Then his, Jesus' disciples, began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, let me say before we go any further, because if you read further, you're going to miss the progression because we tend to read and we miss some of that insight. What I want you to realize is Jesus doesn't chew these guys out for talking about greatness. Jesus doesn't say, now, now wait a minute, fellas, no, don't be talking about greatness. Because you see, I think God created us with the potential to be great. And I hope you pick that up in this sermon. 
Jesus doesn't say to them, you guys are talking about the wrong thing. Don't aspire to greatness. But instead, Jesus says, okay, now I know your thoughts. You're saying to each other, who's greatest? And I know what's going on inside you. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to illustrate to you something about greatness. And folks, if you can learn this lesson, you will accomplish greatness in your life. He doesn't get on them. Instead, he's going to tell them, that's not a bad ambition. But look what he says next in 47. So he brought a little child to his side. Now, we've got to understand this about a child. A little child. It's a small child. It's an insignificant person in their eyes. You see, in those days, children weren't important. I've said it before. A daddy, a mama might have a baby, and, and the daddy, we know there's, a, there's a, a, a letter in the Roman archives that a daddy wrote back to his mom and said, listen, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, baby, get rid of it. And that meant they would, in that experience, daddy that kind of society, that culture, they'd set that baby somewhere, like people today can leave a baby safely at a hospital or at a a law enforcement place, and the society's not going to attack them, see? They could leave that baby, and usually the people who took those girl babies were people who would then use them to peddle their flesh. A child wasn't important when they're small. Matter of fact, the death rate, the infant mortality was, was very high. Children weren't considered that significant when they were small. It's as they grew. It's as they grew. Now, I know that's different from us today. Matter of fact, some of you people, when a baby's born, it becomes your God. Jesus Christ is Lord, but the baby's God. And you know that. So they're saying, who can be great? Jesus doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, don't aspire to greatness. He, he says, okay, I'm going I'm to show you something. And he has this small child come forward. This unimportant thing before these, these men. I mean, these men are walking with a person that raises dead people. These men are walking with a person who heals people. These men are walking with a person who gave them the power to do this. I got to do with a small child. Now it goes on, 48. And then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this one, this, a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Now I want to interject something here because when I was in the university and today in the internet, people say Jesus never claimed to be God. When he called God his Father, he's saying he's deity. He's the Son of God. He is deity. We can understand from other scriptures what that means, but Jesus is saying it. It's just whether people will hear what he's saying. It's like sometimes scripture comes alive to you in worship, and God gets your attention. It's whether you remember what he's saying to you, see? And so Jesus is telling them, I'm the Son of God. But, but what he says, he says, whoever welcomes a little child like this one on my behalf welcomes me and welcomes the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, you must humble yourself in service. You must look at what seemingly is unimportant and realize it is important. You must give yourself to what looks like it's not important. Is it important to cook popcorn on Sunday morning? Is it? 
You mean I can't get a crowd of people who have ate a bag of popcorn saying, yeah! Is it important to clean a bathroom on Sunday morning? Thank you. The men, they don't say anything. Jesus is telling them, you've got to seemingly look at what is unimportant and how you can serve in that which is unimportant on my behalf. When you do, I want to tell you something. I'm going to be there right behind you. You're popping the popcorn. I'm behind you saying to the angels, it's my child. You see? Don't you people realize when you're playing the instruments, I know that takes time. Jesus says, when you do it on my behalf, I'm there, and the Father's here. God is there. And he's saying, my people. Do you realize how many people call God, Jehovah God, and Jesus Christ Lord, and they don't do anything in the way of service on his behalf? It's all on their behalf. You see, in our culture, we tend to say, no, greatness comes from being involved with that which we consider important. In our culture, we say, greatness comes from that which looks big. Jesus says, no, I'm going to tell you something. Greatness comes from that which seems unimportant that you do on my behalf. We like to say, give me the important job, I'll step up. Jesus says, how about the unimportant job? I think this is 300 pounds. I think each one of these are. I think that when we ordered them, that's what she told me. I could be wrong, but they're, they're pretty heavy. And so when, we, when the trailer backs up here, that 34-foot trailer, these guys, they're pushing these things in here, okay? And, and, and when we get the carts out of the, the trailer in the front, those guys getting those trailers and... and, and Boy, the technology cart and the popcorn cart are really heavy, and the others have some weight to them. And so, you know, I notice these big guys pull all these heavy trailers, and, and you know that baby changing table that's in the bathroom? By the ladies' and men's bathroom? I got it out, and I pushed it. I come to it, I go, Ugh. Somebody looked at me, like, I go, Ugh. Somebody said something to me back there. I said, Oh, this is tough. Somebody's got to do it. And I do that out here. What's the point? The point is, Jesus is saying, greatness doesn't come by saying, give me the important jobs, the big jobs. He's saying, you want me? You want my Father? You look at the seemingly unimportant on my behalf. You serve on my behalf. I mean, what is great about pushing these things in here and setting them up? What is great about putting chairs up? I mean, come on, man. What's so great about that? I want to do something great, God. Jesus says, when you do the seemingly unimportant on my behalf, guess what? You're walking along. I'm right there behind you saying, hey, angels, here he is, one of my children. See, what is important about folding up cafeteria tables or even unfolding cafeteria tables? You know, I'm too busy. I've got something to do. Let somebody else do that. Somebody's saying, you're making it all about connection. Let me tell you why I make it all about connection. Because if you'll learn to be aware here, God will make you aware out there. You following with me? 
because you get so caught up in life out there, you forgot, you forget about doing it on Jesus' behalf. See, and I can go through these things. What is so important about cooking pop? I mean, about making coffee or putting ice in the ice water, in the water holders? See, we got to look at the unimportant, the seemingly unimportant. Look, he goes on. Look at forty-eight. Whoever is the least, that means servant position. Servants are always considered the least. Whoever is the least among you is the... What? Remember, it starts out. They're arguing. Tell us, Jesus, who is the greatest among you? Jesus said, who wiped up the coffee? I was out here and I saw a lady. She turned around. One of you got in her way and she tried to miss you and she spilled her coffee. I watched a woman just come real quick, taking paper towels, clean it up. I said, I'll help you. Oh, I can do that. And they cleaned it up. And I said to that woman, I said, thank you for being a servant. Yeah. You know what God did? Look at that. My child. You know why some of your children don't know to serve? On Jesus' behalf? Because you see, you're looking for something that you think is important. They were looking for what they thought was important, and Jesus interrupted them and said, I'm going to tell you what's important. Come here, kid. And he says, Whenever you greet what seemingly is unimportant on my behalf, I'm going to be there with you, and my Father's going to be there with you. Look at the first blank in your message map. Jesus is saying, there's a page in your message map for sermon notes. Look at that blank. Fill it in. Jesus is saying that greatness comes in humbleness of service. That's so important to remember. You know, I've got to remember that. You've got to remember that. Sometimes I want to forget it. Sometimes you want to forget it. Listen, humbleness, being humble, is not thinking less of yourself. Please. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Do you understand that? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But I want to sleep in. But I'm going to think of myself less. I'm going to get up and go help. I want to hurry off to lunch. I want to be first person in line. I'm going to think of myself less. I'll be last person in line. See, being humble is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what it is. Not too many today do that. Because we do what... John Piper says, you know, it's my turn. Somebody owes me. Your teenagers, your children turn into, your lovely children turn into those lovely teenagers who feel like you own them a phone. You owe them a vehicle. You owe them new tennis shoes. You owe them the best jeans. You owe them to be able to run with their friends. Of course, teenagers, they're not very mature, are they? But as adults, God... You owe me. Humbleness of service. Look at the second blank on your message map. Being humble, great in God's eyes, means it is all about how can I serve others. That's what it's about. Oh, this is hard. Listen, I'm the baby of 14 kids. I'm parent senior adults. I'm a spoiled brat. I'm used to being all about me. So I enter my marriage. I become a husband. I enter the workforce. 
And God had to teach you some lessons. And I'm so thankful that there were some men who got close to me, spent time with me on a regular basis during the week, and helped me see things like, listen, the way I was developed, I didn't see them. I didn't like it. I would say to my wife, I don't need to meet with that person. I don't need to talk to those people. And yet God used it to shape me to serve others. Listen, I told you that I think Jesus doesn't correct them about greatness. He doesn't say, don't aspire to greatness. Don't be talking about that. But instead, He gives them the example to look at the seemingly unimportant, okay? Because we were created to be great. I would suggest to you that you desire to be great. Where should you be great? I suggest to you that you desire to be a great mate. But understand what we've just talked about. Greatness comes from service. So if you want to be a great mate, guys, outserve your wife. If you want to be a great child, children, outserve your parents. I suggest to you that you desire to be a great church person. For the Bible teaches we are to be involved with the body of believers. But to be that means you have to serve other church people. I don't understand why grandmas especially don't understand this. Because you just desire to serve your grandchild. At least when they're little. I suggest to you that you desire to be a great person, to be a great employee. That means it's not all about you. Serve the people you work with. I suggest that you desire to be a great student. That means it's not all about you when you walk into that school, that institution. It's the other people. It's the people who are taking the time to share with you information that's going to magnify your earning capacity. If you get called to the assistant principal's office and he says, bend over, and he pops you with the paddle, when you get up, say, thank you. I know that doesn't happen today. But when you get that correction in the school, maybe a week later, you say to the assistant principal, after you thought about it, I want to thank you. I'm sorry for my behavior. I needed that correction. Because you see, that guy or gal scared to death. Because everybody's saying, I'm going to sue you. See, I suggest that you desire to be great. But to do that means you've got to look at it differently. You've got to take what is the situation seems, um, seems it's seemingly unimportant and you've got to put yourself to serve. Whatever it is, I suggest when you go through the cafeteria line that you tell that cook, this is the best leftover pizza I ever tasted. If it is, if not, just say, thank you, and thank them for their time. I don't want you not to aspire to be great. Man, I can remember a time many years ago Many years ago, I'm in my first church as a pastor. Sermons get done like Saturday, no, Sunday morning, 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning. 
I'm finishing sermons at 2.30 in the morning for that day. I remember one time I got on my knees and I just cried to God. I mean, tears are falling. I can feel it right now. I said, God, I just don't want to be a pastor for you. I want to be a great pastor for you. And I'm going to tell you what he told me. And you just serve the people. That's all. I suggest to you that you aspire to greatness. Don't let your life be like so many others. Just ordinary, normal, getting by today. Look at the next blank in your message map. The secret to a great marriage, a great family, a great church, is that those involved serve one another as they live and love like Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't correct him for talking about greatness. He just told him what real greatness is in his eyes and in the Father's eyes. Well, look at 49. John said to Jesus, okay? You know, they got this message, didn't they? John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Okay? Seems like it doesn't have anything to do with the context, and yet God put it there because I'm going to tell you, sometimes in service, we want to think we're better than other people. And so here, here is a disciple, John, John, this is the only guy, whenever Jesus goes to the cross, this is the only follower, one of the 12 disciples that the Bible gives us any references there at the cross when he dies. This is the guy Jesus looks down and he says, take care of Mary, my mother. This is the guy Jesus called the beloved disciple or the beloved apostle. This is a special guy. But what does he say? Jesus is talking about greatness. He says, how about this guy over here? You know, look at look how he says, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. That was a problem with the early Christians. You see, you had to do it exactly like us. That's the problem today with Christians. We tend to say, if you're not of our denomination, man, you're not doing it correctly. If you're not doing it like us, you're not doing it correctly. Listen, how many times have you heard me say, we're not going to be a traditional church, but God uses traditional churches. Do you hear me? So we don't go put them down. We just realize we are desiring to be something more relevant to the culture. This has always been a problem. You've got the Baptists arguing with the Lutherans. You've got the Lutherans arguing with the Methodists. You've got the Methodists arguing with the Catholics. Who's the right church? You've you got a group of people out there. Some of you don't even know. Some of you do, so I'll just say it. There's a group of people out there who believe in apostolic succession. And they believe if you aren't of that line, you are not part of God's people. And that's what John is saying. We saw a guy out here. What, 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 using your name to cast out demons. We told him to stop because he's not in our group. Look at Jesus' answer in 50. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. And we can only learn that. Anyone who's not against you is for you. If people are helping others in the name of Jesus, don't be trying to tell them, but you've got to do it only the way we do it. Jesus is teaching us something about our relationship with others. In other words, stop being critical of people in the kingdom. Stop being critical of God's people. You know as well as I do, many people will not step in a church because they've seen how Christians treat one another. 
Stop being critical. Stop going to school and being critical of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop going to work and being critical of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop going to the school board meeting and being critical of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now let me, listen, listen. Stop getting involved in the political process and being critical of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop evaluating the soccer coach and being critical of your brother or sister in Christ. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us through this. Now he goes on in 55. At, that, at the time, as the time drew near for him, for Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely, in other words, he, he's determined he's going to go to Jerusalem, resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He, he set his mind he's going to do this. That's probably important because sometimes you and I don't set our minds to that, but it says he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, just understand this. What, what that means is, and, and if you've been following Luke, Jesus is doing most of his ministry in the northern part of the kingdom, I mean, northern part of Israel, okay? This is the Galilee area. This is around the Sea of Galilee, okay? And these are villages of maybe 100 to 200 people. Back then, the villages probably weren't that much larger. They would have one synagogue in them if they had a synagogue, okay? If they didn't, then another village might have a synagogue. Jesus is talking to the people in that area. He's going to leave Galilee in the northern part of Israel, and he's going to go down to the southern part of Israel. He's going to go to Jerusalem. Because it's in Jerusalem where he's going to face, and he's already told them the ridicule and the, the rejection and then the killing, the death. Okay? He's not, he's not kept that secret. Because he, what, what we've got to understand, see, he's trying to teach them God has always been in control. Now, they wouldn't understand that then because they couldn't see the death and resurrection. You and I can. And so what the Scriptures remind us is God is always in control. He's still in control. He's still in control. And that's what Jesus is, is, is reminding them. He's telling them about this, okay? God is still in control. Now, in 52, it says, He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. In other words, he's going to go through Samaria. Now, look, here's Galilee up here in the north. Here's Jerusalem down here in the south, okay? Galilee has a river called the Jordan that comes out of it and comes to the Dead Sea, okay? If you see here Christmas, I told you, I compared the two seas. The, the Sea of Galilee is full of life. The Sea of, of the Dead Sea, it's, it's salt. It's, it's, it's not full of life. Out of what has life flows water and goes and it gets, because it can't empty, and brings death. And you know what? If you have come to the place that you're taking it all in and you're not giving it out, I've got an idea. You're experiencing a lot of deafness in your life. But that's not my sermon. Samaria is in between. Okay? And so Jesus sends messengers to go ahead into the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Now we go down and find us a place to stay and get some things set up and understand it's not so much, here's the money, go do it. Go find a place where we can put our head, where we can get some food, okay? But look what it says in 53. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. In other words, look, they're leaving, they're going to leave Galilee, they're going to come through Samaria, and then they're going to, he's going to go to Jerusalem. Now, he won't get to Jerusalem until Luke 19, so we've got some intervening things that are going to take place. But, but he's going to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria is a place where the Samaritans didn't relate well to the Jews. And the reason they didn't relate well to the Jews was because of prejudice. You see, some of you have trouble relating with people who are different than you. Some of you young folks have trouble relating to people who have order in their lives. 
Now, forget it, being old, young folks. Some of you folks have trouble relating to people who have orders. See, they're different. Some of you have white face, you have trouble relating to black face people, see, or colored face people, whatever, because they may be not of brown or black. They may be a red or a yellow. See? And you know what? Some of you are very vocal about that. The father must shed little tears when he hears, if you're a child of God, that you would say that. You see, Jesus wants to go through Samaria, and these, these Jews, or these Samaritans, okay, they don't want anything to do with these Jews coming through here because there's a prejudice. And the prejudice is this. The Jews mistreated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breed type people. In other words, they came from Jewish mothers with foreign fathers. Hundreds of years earlier this happened. Armies would come into the area and they would conquer. And you know what men tend to do when they think they're in control? They misuse women. Please, ladies, if you've got a man who's not committing himself to you, don't let him misuse you again. Shut him off. So these guys would misuse these ladies. And so what would happen? The guys would go back to their country. They'd leave. And these ladies would be pregnant. And so you've got half-breeds. Who wants a half-breed? See? Who wants that in their family? Who wants to relate to them? And so the Jews mistreated the Samaritans. Those women weren't good. You know, this would have never happened to you if you'd been a good person to God. So the Samaritans have felt this for centuries. So here comes these Jews coming through and saying, hey, you got a place where we can stay? You got something we can eat? They don't want anything to do with them. John 4 9 tells us that the Samaritans said the Jews didn't want anything to do with them. And what does Jesus do? Jesus sends these guys down here. Look at 54. When Jesus and John, I mean, sorry, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them? You know what they've done? Because of this rejection they feel, they're taking the attitude of turning and burning. Let's, let's burn them up. See, that's what they're saying. Mark 3 indicates that James and John's nicknames is Sons of Thunder. They're, they're guys who give themselves to anger. I can identify with them. That's the number one issue in my life. They're, they're, they're guys of anger. And so what do they do when they feel this rejection? It isn't going along. I don't know how many doors they have to knock on, how many people they have to talk to about, will you help, will you help? And finally, when they get back to Jesus, they say, hey, Jesus, how about just calling down fire from heaven and destroying them? And you know what they don't understand? They don't understand those people. They don't understand the hurt that's in their life, the rejection. They've got somebody who for years have been told by their parents and their grandparents, you can't trust an African American. You can't trust a Caucasian. You can't trust a Japanese. You know what they did to us in World War II? You can't trust somebody of German descent. You know what they did in World War One, World War Two. You know, those people are lazy. Those people don't, they aren't dependable. And so this person's growing up, this Samaritan's growing up with all this prejudice. And pretty soon their mind just says, here comes a Jew. They don't get to know. They don't see Jesus, who he is. They don't want nothing to do with the people with Jesus. You see, because the Jews, John and James, don't take time to get understand their hurt. You don't say, I'm sorry for what, what has happened. I'm sorry that maybe some of my in-laws came through years ago and they mistreated you, but I will not. See, they don't do that. Instead, they say, let's get even. Let's get even with them. 
And you, and you know what's interesting? Jesus puts these guys in this situation. And I want you to know, you may wonder why it gets hard in your life or why your marriage has to go through that or why you have to face that because God might be trying to grow you because God is more concerned about your development as His child than He is about giving you everything you need. You see, here's what a Jew would normally do. Here's Galilee up here in the north. Here's Jerusalem down in the south. A Jew, because Galilee was considered Jews. Not good Jews, but Jews, okay? Remember when Jesus was selecting his 12 and, and, and they went to, to one of the guys and they said, hey, we've met the Messiah. We've met Jesus. Come, join us, follow him. And, and the guy said, he became a follower, said, can anything good come out of Galilee? See, good Jews down in Jerusalem didn't consider the Galilean Jews as good as them. Okay? Sometimes you're like that. If you've got an Abercrombie on your shirt, you're better than somebody that doesn't have Abercrombie on their shirt. Right? And if you tuck your, your shirt in and you shine your shoes, you're better than somebody that leaves their shirt out. See? Jesus sets these guys up for this. Because here's what, a, here's what the Jew would do. A Jew that would be in Galilee, one that, one that goes from the south to the north or from the north-south, this is what they do. They'd come just south of the Sea of Galilee. They'd cross over the Jordan River. They'd come down the, the west side of the Jordan River, not where Samaria is. They'd come down the west side. When they got down near Jericho, Jesus told about the man being robbed. Jericho, just south of the Samaria area. They'd cross over the Jordan River and then they'd go down because the land literally was going down in, la in, in the way the land was laid and they would go down to Jerusalem. That's what a good Jew would do. You know what Jesus did? Jesus didn't come down, go over, come down, and come back over. Jesus sends them first by themselves amongst the wolves. And they're not wolves, they're just people. I shouldn't even said that because they're not bad. They're just people who've been hurt. And when Jesus comes, they say, you know what, why don't we call down fire? And they didn't try to understand them. Do you try to understand somebody who doesn't dress like you, somebody who doesn't talk like you, somebody who doesn't look like you? Do you try to understand somebody who their decisions makes your life or somebody in your family's life uncomfortable? Do you try to understand that soccer coach? Do you try to understand that school disciplinarian, why they do what they do? Do you try to understand what's going on in their life sometimes? See, Jesus set this up. And they're at the place. James and John. These are, the, these are the fellows who are on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. This is, as we read the Gospel, Peter, James, and John always seem to be in the inner circle with Jesus. And they're saying, let's just forget these people. Look what he says. Look at 55. But Jesus turned. Now, he doesn't talk about greatness. He rebukes. Remember when they talked about greatness, he didn't rebuke. Because I want to tell you, I don't want you leaving, ever leaving connection saying, this church doesn't think anybody ought to be great. If you're going to be a doctor, I want you to be a great doctor. If you're going to be a lawyer, I want you to be a great lawyer. If you're going to haul trash, I want you to be a great trash hauler. If you're going to teach school, I want you to be a great teacher. If you're going to serve food, I want you to be a great server of food. But I want you to remember in all that, if you decide to get married, I want you to be a great mate. If you're going to say, let's conceive a child, I want you to be a great father, a great mother. See, I want you to aspire to greatness. Jesus didn't rebuke them when they talked about greatness. He gave them the illustration. He says, greatness comes out of serving what seemingly is unimportant on his behalf. But here, when these guys take this position, 
He turns and he rebukes them. He doesn't ignore their words. He corrects them. Some of you people don't like me to do that to you. Now, I've said before up here, sometimes when I talk to people I have no relationship to, I'm not invited in to bring any correction. I don't. Some of you have invited me into your life. You tell me a little bit more. I've revealed a little bit of my life. You see, Jesus doesn't ignore their words. He corrects them. He tells them what the right attitude is. Well, so it goes on. So they went on to another village. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, he didn't tell us what he told them. He just rebuked them. Didn't he just talk about greatness? <laughs> are these people seemingly unimportant people? The Samaritans to the Jews? Yeah. What should they do? They ought to be very kind to these people. They ought to serve these people. Say, so, hey, I'll tell you what, you're getting water. How about if I do this for you? Now, think about that. You work at Continental. The boss comes out and says, let me haul that tire for you for about an hour. Knock your socks off, right? See? In other words, these people are seemingly important. So if you want to know what his rebuking was, he's just talking about, serve us, serve us. But it goes on. It says in 56, So they went on to another village, and as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, Uh-oh, now let me stop here. I want you to look back at verse 41. Look back in verse 41. Look what he said. We talked about this last week. Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Now remember, he spoke that to his Followers. He wasn't talking to the Pharisees, the religious people. Okay, you don't have 41 there. Okay. He, 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 that was last week. Now he's talking to his followers. He's going to say some things that are going to be very hard for you and I. Already he's probably said things that are hard for some of us. But he's going to really get hard here. Look what he says. Let me find my place. 55, 57, as if 58. But Jesus, no, I'm sorry, 57. As they were walking along, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, look what he says. Okay, you're ready to follow me. Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He's teaching the principle here. Following Jesus does not mean you always get Following Jesus does not mean you always get. You always get to raise. You always get the job. A loved one's life is saved. Somebody just says, Boy, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm follow you. He says, okay, I want you to understand. Following me does not mean life gets easy. That's all he's trying to say here. That's all he's trying to set up here. Because this is going to lead into a dialogue with a couple men. Okay? Following Jesus is certainly the best, folks. I want you to understand that. It's certainly the best life, but it's not always the easy life. You see, the easy life would have said, you know what I think? I'll just have a cup of coffee. I'll sleep in a little bit later this morning. Get up, have a cup of coffee. And a nice Danish. Turn on my TV. Read my paper. Not get in a hurry. Because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, everything's in a hurry. And I'm just going to enjoy TV. Following Jesus is certainly the best life, but it's not always easy. Look at 59, because we're looking in the, in the context. He said to another person, 
Jesus speak. Come follow me. The man agreed. Okay, I'll follow you. But he said, now look what he says. Lord, underline the next nine words so that when you read this six months from now, you'll try to remember. Why did he say this? Because then you can get the application in your life. The nine words are, first, let me return home and bury my father. I've had people tell me, Jesus is being unsympathetic to a man whose father's died. First of all, let me tell you, his father's not died. Because if his father's died, from Jewish practice, he's not out there hanging out where Jesus is. He's with the people, the family. Death was more than just, well, you know, visitation and then the funeral rites. He's with the family. What this man is saying is, I've got an older family member. I've got an older father. You know, let me go back and take care of my father. And whenever I get all, everything in line, I'll come follow you. Now, can you identify with that? How many of us have said, you know, I'll serve Jesus whenever. I'm going to serve Jesus whenever I got more time. I'm going to serve Jesus whenever I got more money. I'm going to serve Jesus when I learn more. I'm going to serve Jesus whenever I retire. I'm going to serve Jesus. See, this guy is just saying, first let me return home and take care of my responsibility. Look what Jesus told him in 60. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying this, don't get caught up like people who have no relationship with God do. They're dead to God. Let them get caught up with living life that way. You get caught up with getting the message of the kingdom of God out before people. He's not telling this guy he should not be responsible for his family. He's trying to give this guy a different perspective about living life. Look, my wife is super important to me. But I can never forget she's not my God. And my four children, I have sacrificed. I've told this before. My oldest son said to me, Whenever all my children are gone, when Daniel left, he said, Boy, Dad, you're buying better shirts. You're buying better clothes, better shoes. How come? I said, because you all left house and spend money on me. Do you understand that? But I've got to be careful. My children don't become a God. Your children will keep you from being faithful to God. Your children will keep you from being great as a mate. Some of you moms, your marriage is going to crumble because your child is your God, not your husband who you ought to serve to be the person to serve him, not your God. Jesus is trying to tell this guy, listen, if you're going to follow me, I ask you to follow me. You say, I will, but first, let me get my priorities. Jesus said, I want you to tell what the priorities are. The priorities don't act like the people who don't know God would act. They may even come to church. But they aren't involved in getting the message out. You see, Jesus isn't going to be second priority, folks. That's what he's saying. We don't like that. You're telling me that Jesus is more important than my baby? I'm not telling you anything. Just read it. Jesus said, get your priorities in order. You make your baby more important, your baby will grow up and act like he's a God or she's a God. And God will never probably be their God because you taught them their God. Look, he goes on. Remember, he said, how long do I got to put up with this corrupt and faithless people? He's talking to his followers. 61. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but... Circle the... Or, or underline the next eight words. First, let me say goodbye to my family. That doesn't sound like so bad a thing. You love your family. But Jesus told him, you've got to hear what Jesus is trying to get across. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and 
Circle the next three words because they tie in with what Jesus then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying this, you say you want to serve me, I want you to understand, if you say you're going to work in God's field, okay, they're agricultural people, they understand this, he says, this is what it's like, you're going to work in God's field, but then you say, but you know, my family's important, not God is a priority, not Jesus' priority, but my family, this is tough, this is tough, this is tough, you know, I want to be a great husband, I don't want any other husband to be as great as me. Now, you know that's not true because I try to teach husbands how to be great. I just want to be a great husband. Okay? I remember my dad said, that woman, he didn't call her by name. He said, that woman's getting in the way. And a great husband, I said, Dad, listen, this is between you and me. <laughs> this is between you and me. And I dealt with the situation. I said, if you can't handle it, then you might as well realize you're causing the division between you and me, not my lovely wife, Laura. She has always appreciated that. She didn't have to defend herself. I do premarital counseling. I tell, I tell the, the, the groom, I, the prospective groom, you ought to defend your mate to your family. Never have her have to do it. And I tell the prospective bride, you should defend your mate to your family. He should never have to do that. Look, Jesus is trying to teach him something here. He's trying to talk about when you say, family's important. He's saying, I want you to understand something. When you say to God, I'm going to work in your field, you've got to be careful because things will try to cause you, when you put your hand to plow, look back. Now, let me illustrate that. Here you go. I'm working in a field, and I'm not a farmer, okay? It's Dominic K. Young. If I'm doing this wrong, you just raise your hand. Now, don't raise your hand. Everybody should just wink at me. I'll catch you. You put your hand to the plow, okay? And you know... You grow more if you do a straight row, right? Now, is that right? Good way to wink. Okay. So you're pushing the plow. Hey, Dan, will you play ball with me? I'm working. I'm pushing the plow. Dan, look what I'm doing. You understand what I'm saying? That's what Jesus happens in God's work. You see, your work, your kids, your marriage, everything will get in the way. I've said this before. Friday night used to be our date night. But because of Celebrate Recovery, and there's so many people need people who have found victory to help them. Laura has given that up. I've given that up. Even now, after many years of the other church and this church where I did celebrate, I still struggle with that because I remember the preciousness of the date night. I just had to find another time to make it precious. With it. Because you see, when you put your hand to the plow, you're going along. Something says... Hey, will you help me? Will you, I can't. I'm plowing for God. Oh, please help me. What? What? Okay. Uh-oh. That's what he's saying here. You know what? Some of you old folks, you plowed a straight line some years ago, but now you're crooked. You're crooked. Some of you adults, you're younger, you plowed when you were a teenager or when you were a young adult, but now you got a little bit older and you're crooked. Some of you have put your hand to the plow and you've gone along and somebody pet your body and you start getting aroused and they say, come on, pay attention to me and you pay attention to them and all of a sudden you just can't plow as straight as you did before. Look, this is hard. I told you, I told you Jesus was going to be getting hard in Luke about two months or three months ago. And I'm just trying to use illustration. I don't know what your illustration is. I just hope I illustrate it enough that you can apply yourself. God, help me! But I forget you when it's time plowing. That's what Jesus is saying.
your last blank. Jesus is not God. I mean, Jesus is God. And we are to follow Him. And He is to be a priority in our life. That's what all this is about. The ninth chapter is closing down that Jesus is to be a priority in our life. What is all this saying to us? I suggest this. We are not being told to consider Jesus as a way. We are not being told to consider following Jesus. We are not being told to consider Jesus as Lord. We're not being told to consider the ideal of Jesus. What we're being told is that Jesus is God. And it is all about Him. Your marriage is all about Him. Your family is all about Him. Your pleasure is all about Him. Listen, I'm not telling you you can't go out and hit golf balls. I've hit many of them and enjoyed it. But I'm telling you, your life is all about Him. That's what we're being told. Why? Because He is God and we are following Him. That's what He's trying to get across to those who are His immediate followers. He is not broadcasting this to the crowd. The crowd might hear it. He's broadcasting to people who say, Jesus, you are the one I will follow. He's saying, and understand, it certainly is the best life to live, but it will not always be easy. And you've got to remember, I am the Lord. I am the boss. I am God. Be careful. Put me in second priority. Because when you do, you'll start plowing in a crooked way. I hope. I hope that you have repented of your sins and that you have turned to Jesus Christ as Lord because He offers you so much. Listen, other churches will tell you, yeah, so when you die, you go to heaven. I'm going to tell you, that's just byproduct. He offers you so much more in your life right now, in school, in marriage, in family, where you work. And I would hope today that you would consider turning to Jesus, telling Him you're sorry for your sinfulness, that you believe that He gave His life for you, and you want Him to forgive you of your sins and be Lord of your life. I encourage you to become a follower of Jesus today. Do we have a question? Then let's pray and then we're done. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you. I thank you for, again, I've said it before, for Luke. I thank you for, for, for Theophilus who, who apparently funded Luke and, and put him out. And, and God, that, that I can't, I can't, my time frame, I couldn't go back and check out all these things about Jesus as close to the event. But Luke did and I thank you that I get the privilege of, 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 of reading it and hearing it. And Father, I just pray that we as people, that we as people, that this, this will be like fertilizer into our Christian life. And we will grow. That Father, in the next month, in the next year, our relationship with you and our service to you will be greater than what it was last month and last year. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the preservation of your word. I thank you that we can understand your word. And God, to your glory, we look at your word and we let it have impact in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.